Emotional intelligence is the ability to monitor your own emotions, to have self-awareness, to, to have social skills, to self-regulate. Someone who's high in emotional intelligence has what we call a kind of a non-reactive approach when things happen. It's called the stimulus response gap. And this is something that anybody who's listening right now can cultivate. Welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. And in this episode, we're turning the mic around to listen to my recent presentation to the Middle Managers Summit on psychological safety. Enjoy. Psychological safety came out of a study that the Google company did in 2012. But it's but in a nutshell, it's the confidence that if you speak up, find your voice at work and express an opinion, that you won't be punished, rejected, judged, harassed because of it. It it sits right in the middle between workplace bullying and mental health. So it's a very subtle shift in that people will bring their discretionary effort to work if they know they're in a safe space. So let me tell you the story about how psychological safety even came about, how the term arrived. Um, it was back in 2012 that the Google company asked themselves the question, what behaviour most contributes to effective team behaviour, effective team results? Is a team successful because uh, the team members spend social time together? They started really looking at personality traits because it's very easy to do these psychometric profiles and find out whether one team is made up predominantly of extroverts, other teams might be predominantly introverts, other teams are a mix. And they didn't find any difference uh, in, in effectiveness on the basis of the makeup based on personality traits. They also started looking at gender balance because some teams are predominantly masculine, some other teams might have more women. Others are a complete mix. No, that wasn't uh, the result. Interestingly, they started looking at command and control and hierarchical approach to leading a team by the manager versus a, a more laissez-faire, um, free-flowing uh, team, uh, team leading style. That didn't seem to come up with any difference in terms of is a team more effective because of it? Naturally, they looked at the educational background of the managers leading the team. And, of course, some uh, many managers really came out of engineering, coding. Uh, some have got business qualifications but they, uh, and some have none. Some, some really were self-taught. They didn't find any difference there. Looking for patterns why some teams are more effective than others because they the Google company did have their um, a survey of uh, of the upwards feedback survey from team members about their managers. So they had a clue of what they were looking for. Similar to spending social time outside was, do they have similar interests or similar hobbies or, uh, you know, do they all play video games or do they all um, engage in extreme sports? There didn't seem to be any correlation there. Especially looking at how a manager leads a team meeting styles. Some managers kept tabs on, were, were very directive in terms of now you speak, now you say what you want to say, what do you think? And others were a little bit 
uh, more free-flowing, were more tolerant of people interrupting each other. And, and certainly some managers kept people on track to what the agenda was versus others were allowed to diverge onto uh, other tangents. So they realised that there wasn't really any identifiable pattern there. And this is all written up in a Harvard Business Review case study that was published in 2015, which I came across uh, just a couple of years after that. Continuing the search for the pattern, Google started looking for norms, which are unwritten ground rules. It's the, uh, the unconscious or not obvious ways that or assumptions that this is how we operate around here. And one of the things that started to come up was that some managers were ensuring that every single person had a say, even the quiet ones were invited to express their opinion um, in the meeting as opposed to some managers let, just let the fast talkers dominate. They discovered that one pattern that, that separated successful teams from others was that everyone spoke roughly the same amount of time. So they came up with this idea of conversational equality. One attribute, according to the People Lab uh, research, is that conversational equality is an essential quality or attribute of a successful team. And they put it under the umbrella term of psychological safety. There's a second uh, quali uh, quality or attribute that comes under this psychological safety, and it's called social sensitivity. If you can imagine, social sensit sensitivity is the ability to read facial expression, body language, nonverbal cues, and be clear on how people are feeling or get a, get a reading on how people are feeling. You know yourself, people have different degrees of interpersonal intelligence and some people are very good at people reading and others it's like they're completely oblivious to it. And, of course, uh, some people are so focused on IQ and logical uh, approach to life that perhaps they miss out on some of the more intuitive nonverbal cues that are there for the looking. Uh, if you are wanting to... Um, be better at people reading, the, the, the clues you're looking for are things like what's the position of the mouth? What sort of emotion is, is being emitted from the eyes? In fact, Cambridge University has a very famous test called the reading the mind and the eyes test. Anybody can take that test. To take, there's about 26 photos with four emotional options and it's possible to actually uh, uh, intuit what is the correct emotion that that person is emitting through that photo. And, of course, people that are high in emotional intelligence and people reading will score high on that test as opposed to others who they can't really tell. It's just a, it's just a guess. So the term psychological safety stemmed from uh, a, prof a Harvard professor called Amy Edmondson who first uh, wrote about the term in the late 90s, and then the Google company had a, a, a section of the company called People Lab, Lab where they were identifying what qualities separate effective teams from the others, and they came up with this concept of psychological safety with these two attributes of 
conversational equality and social sensitivity. A mentally healthy workplace is looking for different things. They're looking to uh, avoid psychosocial hazards that can actually become a trigger that, be, that end up being a mental health problem. So uh, there's a whole list of psychosocial uh, hazards, such as uh, a job being overly demanding or quite the opposite, low job demands, not having enough interest or variety, um, where a manager just goes, well, you're just paid to, to do the job you're paid to do. <laughs> but, but people actually need to feel a sense of progress. They need to feel a sense of contribution. One of the things that uh, we find with um, that in a toxic workplace or one of the behaviours that one of my um, uh uh, I've done a, a, some some research of my own where I've in polls and and surveys where I've asked people to rate uh, the degree of um, uh, you know uh, lack of preference for for different toxic behaviours and of course bullying and ha harassment is definitely one of them but it's curious to know the the one uh, the one behaviour that was top of the list and I run this. Uh, I keep running this survey from time to time, so we keep getting more people voting. The, the quality or the behaviour that seems to be top of the list is the withholding of information. There are another two that I wanted to mention, and that is uh, when people often have a sense of fairness and justice, and when things happen that are not fair, that can often make them jump ship as well. It's like uh, credit-taking. When a manager gets an idea or a suggestion from one of their individual contributors and doesn't acknowledge it when they put it forward at a group meeting that here's a great idea, by the way, that came from Elizabeth, there's nothing like giving credit to another, to another team member that makes you look good. But you see, if a manager is driven by ego, they'll actually steal other people's ideas. So if they lack their own, it, it actually shows a lack of confidence in their own ability because, you see, managers need to understand the real reason they're at work or the real reason they're leading a team is to build the capability of the people they're leading, to build their capability. And you have to be a confident person inside yourself and not be worried about your own ability in order to be confident that you can raise people up, elevate them, so you can actually be elevated to your next role. The two concepts of social sensitivity and conversational equality. Uh, in fact, these are, these are both um, emotional intelligence attributes, and, in fact, the term emotional intelligence was coined back way back in 1990 by Salovey and Mayer, who, um, who did some research and sort of said, well, this is, we're going to call this emotional intelligence because the concept of IQ or uh, intelligence quotient had been around for a long time, and uh, emotional intelligence is often um, abbreviated to either EI or EQ, so emotional quotient. So... It's the emotional intelligence is the ability to monitor your own emotions, to have self-awareness, to, to have social skills, to self-regulate. Someone who's high in emotional intelligence has what we call uh, a kind of a non-reactive approach when things happen. It's like 
Uh, it's called the stimulus response gap. And uh, this is something that anybody who's listening right now can cultivate. It's the ability to something to happen and to take a moment to put a wedge between yourself and that event and the reaction you might have otherwise and just go, let me think about this for a moment. Let me process this. What do I really think about this? It's a little bit like <laughs> if, um, so if, if, if you're writing an angry email, don't send it for at least six hours. I got that piece of advice at least two decades ago from a venture capitalist who, who knew very well that you can actually <laughs> burn your bridges in a way that you go, well, I'm sorry I burnt that bridge. So it's about being able to um, uh, self-regulate and also, uh, well, self-regulation actually, uh, there was a really great uh, two marshmallow test that you can you can see on YouTube and it's been replicated a few times where uh, a, a, a young preschooler, they might be four, four years of age, uh, it's quite funny to watch. Um, they're put in a, in a room with the camera, hidden camera, and the, uh, the, the uh, well, it could be a teacher, it could be uh, whoever is the researcher, puts a little plate with two marshmallows on it and say, here are some marshmallows. You can have one now, and if you wait till I come back, you can have the second marshmallow. Hmm. And some of the some of the expressions on their face and closing closing their eyes and uh, some of their responses like Ooh, singing to themselves so they don't eat the second marshmallow. And then I've seen other responses where they look away, look back, and go, "They're going to eat it. They're going to eat the second marshmallow." So then they were followed in life, and it turns out depending on how you uh, how you judge success, but they're sort of looking at career success and educational success and uh, happiness in life. It turns out that the people that were able to self-regulate and um, uh, withhold the desire to have the second marshmallow, they're actually more successful in life because uh, that they can actually put off immediate gratification. So it's delayed gratification is actually a quality of high emotional intelligence. So um, really at work, social sensitivity is about being able to people read and also as a manager, it's about self-reflection. So you might have a meeting where you maybe talk about a change that's coming up. Why wouldn't you, after that meeting, perhaps think about, hmm, when I said this, I noticed uh, a couple of people in the room sort of glance at each other and gave some knowing glances and they might go, they're just looking at or reflecting or running like a movie in their mind back. Who did what? What were their nonverbal responses? Not the things that people said, but what were the things that were unsaid but tell you a lot about how that information was received or perceived? And it seems to me that that would be a cue for that team leader to perhaps set up some one-on-one -on -one meetings to say, well, 
I'm, I know we had the group meeting, but I'm very interested in, in your response. What's your, what do, you, do you have any questions? Open it up. I wouldn't be acting like I was watching you and uh, I saw your response. Don't, don't, don't be like they're in a, they're in a fish, fish bowl. <laughs> um, just do it in a really non-judgmental, non-accusatory sort of way and just search for information. Be curious. Be interested in in their response and if they have any questions. So, if the point of that is after you have a meeting, don't just go done deal. I've told them what they need to know. That's it. Consider, run back in your mind who responded, how do they responded, were there people that did all the talking and others looked like they might want to say something but didn't feel confident enough to do so. I'll tell you a little story. I was uh, I went I I I was involved with uh, one of those uh, boot camp uh, personal development programs, and every now and again they have a, a a revisit sort of evening, and it's sort of nice to catch up with people that you might have done a professional development workshop with. But we're in groups in tables, and one young person made this comment. Uh, I don't really know how it came up, but uh, he was just saying. Oh, we were talking actually about a simulation activity that's done where it's like a simulation of a, say, plane crash. We're all survivors, but we've, we have to wait for help. But in the meantime, we've got these 20 items. It might be, uh, you know, a canteen of water, uh, a bar of chocolate, a, uh, a, a length of rope, a, a blanket, a bottle of whiskey, <laughs> and so it goes on. And uh, you had to identify what was the order of importance of priority for each of these 20 items as an individual. And then you had to share your list with the others and the team of 10 had to come up with their final list. And so um, this particular, we were talking about their experience and my particular experience was Look, I was trained in film and television as a production manager. I had the highest. When, when the results came out, I had the second highest individual result in the room and there were 200 people there. I was a little bit proud of myself, but I felt confident too in my, in my decision. But the point was that my team came top because I had the ability to influence their decision about now the team is going to decide that these are the 20 items. So this is called the plane crash simulation. There are others very similar. So we were revisiting that simulation and one of the uh, younger participants, he wasn't in my team, we were all mixed up, but we were just talking about that particular activity. He was saying, oh, yeah, you know, I had lots of ideas, but other people just seemed to be so confident of their opinion that I didn't bother uh, telling them what I thought. And I went, gee whiz, well, Either I'm more confident of my opinion and, and I am because I was right, <laughs> but even if I'm not right, I am thinking I'm right. See, this is it. I am doing a list that I think is correct. Why wouldn't I want to just bounce it around and go, well, hang on, what about this, this and this? And if people can then justify that decision, well, that's fine. I'm at least giving my opinion. But I just noticed that he was of a particular bent and he didn't feel confident to say what he thought. 
which suggests to me that there was no leader to say, now I notice we haven't heard from Jack over there and, and Mary still has to give her, her list. If, if there were a leader that stepped up to the plate and saw that some people were not saying anything, maybe everybody should be asked for their opinion. So that's, that's a, in a nutshell, how managers can make sure that they're being socially sensitive and think about their interactions and they can actually follow up then later and be curious enough to ask questions about, I'd like to have a conversation now about what we discussed in that group meeting. Then in the group meeting, there are ways to invite people to express their opinion. I, I must admit, I'm a little bit in favour of the tool called the talking stick. And there's a there's a great story of, uh, of uh, a US Senator, Susan Collins, who in the, uh, or some years ago, there was some impasse between Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. And she got them all together and she'd been given this talking stick from Africa and it was beautifully beaded and she handed it around and what she did was uh, give people a a time limit and she said, okay, here, um, pass this around and when you have the talking stick, you state your opinion, no one can interrupt or ask a question and you just pass this talking stick around and no other questions or conversations happen in between. It's uh, it's also apparently done in uh, Native American culture and other, other, uh, other uh, cultures around the world. Now, I was engaged to run a p- positive workplace Uh, culture workshop with a team, I decided to bring in a a talking stick. In fact, all I did was find a curious stick that had sort of, um, or it must have had some sort of vine around it and it had grown in a spiral. It was just really a stick about that long. It wasn't really painted in any way, but you could hand paint it. And it was very interesting because um, I said, oh, you know, now we're going to get an opinion. Of, it was the activity. Now we're going to get an opinion. I want to hear everybody uh, in turn, and I'll start with you. You have two minutes to express your opinion, and while you're holding the stick, no one can uh, interrupt or ask a question, and then you can give it to anyone else in the room. What I noticed is that they started using it like it was a microphone, and I thought, well, isn't that interesting? If that That works because there's something about putting a microphone in front of your mouth that makes you feel like you're on the spot, but you have the spotlight, you have the stage. And there's nothing like being invited to share your opinion and for it to be accepted. It was found out that in the United States, where emissions testing by government uh, bodies would run the cars through rollers and they'd measure their emissions, VW, the VW engineers accidentally discovered that they could add a little bit of code that actually changed the result when the car was going through that test. But, of course, it wasn't permanent and, of course, it was emitting um, emissions uh, for years, for years. Uh, it was it was millions of diesel cars in the United States and in Europe. Europe's... Um, Emissions testing was uh, not as stringent as in the United States, but um, basically it was about carbon dioxide emissions and uh, other things that caused smog. So when it was found out, 
Well, uh, the CEO had to stand down. The new CEO, Matthias Muller, he came on board and while there was a whole series of errors and it was a combination of things, he did put it down to the fact that there were project managers and engineers who could have spoken up but didn't. It's not to put the blame in their court. It's just that the, the, the push... For this to go through and for the, to cheat, <laughs> to cheat these tests uh, became the norm, and the apparently how they led at the top was very command and control, and it was like this is how it will be. In that case, you don't feel like you can, you know, put your head up and say I don't think it's right, or what if we get found out? Uh, so. But there is one. There is a uh, there is a silver lining to this VWK study, and we're going to close close very shortly with this. Um, it would appear that VW shed for seven thousand workers, and and Matthias Muller made the decision that they were going to come back in twenty twenty five with an electric car. VW now it's twenty twenty two. VW is poised to lead in the electric car uh, market share. I just want to say that, and I do have a gift for everybody, and it's um, it's a chapter of my book that has the story of the of psychological safety and a few other um, a few other uh, articles in it. My my book is Workplace Wisdom for Nine to Thrive, and um, it'll be in the show notes. That's conversational equality. That's psychological safety. And um, that's um, social sensitivity. So I commend that to you. Hope that was useful. Nina Sunday is on a mission to help leaders transform team culture. If you are interested in booking Nina Sunday CSP as a keynote speaker for your next event, inquire at ninasunday.com to request a proposal and check availability. Nina travels from Queensland, Australia and offers virtual presentations globally or in-person presentations Australia-wide. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.